Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave Across Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And we are about our halfway point of our book, uh, Faith Has Its Reasons, uh, by uh, Kenneth Boa and Robert Bowman Jr. And uh, we're in the evidentialist camp. We're talking about people that demand evidence and uh, show uh, me the evidence. Right. That's that's where they're at. And so, um, again, uh, each uh, portion of the the four different methods that are covering, though technically there are five uh, that they'll spring the last one on us at the end. Uh, And they're they're looking at uh, different methods. So the classicalist the evidentialist, the presuppositionalist, and then the fetus position uh, of, of apologetics. And here uh, in chapter 10 of presenting evidence that demands a verdict, which might uh, have a, a familiar ring to it for those in the know, um, right. they're going to be covering uh, We're looking different... at you, Josh McDowell. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> <clears throat> you just write one book and, and we just keep adding and more evidence and more and more. That's what we do. Which is impressive because if you think about it, we've gotten a long way from the year zero and we just yeah. keep finding more. It's, it's, it's weird. <laughs> but uh, but we're covering uh, uh, kind of different aspects. Uh, we, we've laid out uh, who the main players are. We've laid out kind of the positions. And, and now we're dealing with, uh, I think there are, there are six um, uh, areas or avenues that uh, are, are covered by by everybody uh, as, as far as a, a method or approach. And so uh, we'll be covering that here in uh, chapter 10, presenting evidence that demands a verdict. So uh, of our four approaches profiled in this book, the classical and evidentialist approach are the closest uh, to each other. Indeed, many apologists such as William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland, which is uh, Swinebird, cannot for various reasons be neatly placed into one approach rather than the other. In fact, I would even say that uh, sometimes they bring in other influences that they may uh, may have uh, popularized that uh, people look at the TV screen and do the Leonardo DiCaprio, hey, I've seen this uh, meme to it. <laughs> well, one reason that it is so in the second step or stage of the classical approach uses many, if not all, of the very same arguments that are part of the evidentialist arsenal. So if you remember from our classical approach, they got to have kind of a two-step process. The first one is to uh, present the case that uh, God is possible that a, that a deity exists in in some reasonable way. That's uh, that's uh, done logically, uh, usually through uh, deductive uh, reasoning. Uh, and then the second step that they do is to present the 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 facts of the evidence of the case that Jesus Christ uh, is is the fulfillment of God uh, of, of visible to us uh, in the best way possible. And so. Uh, makes some of the cases of Jesus being deity, existing, uh, his resurrection, his um, his uh, continued uh, uh, existence in the world, uh, the um, the popularity of, of Christianity to move and to uh, uh, improve the lives of all people that uh, that it touches. Uh, and and so that um, that overlap there is is shared here by our evidentialist uh, uh, method approach. Right, exactly. Uh, so, um, so that's one reason, right? The the second step is the evidentialist step for right. the classicalist, but it's the first step for the evidentialist and the only step, right? Uh, another reason our authors tell us for the similarity between these two approaches is that evidentialism itself is by nature eclectic, right? They kind of pulls together a bunch of stuff. And therefore, evidentialists freely use classical apologetic arguments, including those used by the classical apologists to establish their uh, their uh, uh, theism, 
But despite the similarities our authors want us to know between the two approaches, there are some differences that justify recognizing them as two distinct families or types of apologetics. So as we've already noted, the main difference is that the classical approach builds the case for Christianity in two stages. First, the evidence for God, which is the theism approach, and then the second is the evidence for Christianity specifically. The rationale for this approach is that the miracles of Christianity can be viewed as credible only within a theistic worldview. And so uh, these aren't just uh, um, uh, go out in the world and find the weird things that happen in the world and say this is uh, odd and outside of our normal naturalistic uh, uh, framework. And so therefore God exists. No, it's it's overlaid with the concept of uh, the the background of a um, of a uh, uh, theistic uh, uh, uh overview uh right. something like the old testament or or a a, uh, a worldview that's been um uh built upon that uh, that a, a large number of people have held to and uh that is revelatory uh of uh i would make the argument for but uh that also can be uh viewed in the uh the the story of nature itself as well right and so this is what the classicalists do right they say we need to have this uh uh, uh, defense of the Christian worldview in order for miracles to make sense, right? And to and so that's a rationale for the miracles of Christianity. Evidentialists right. obviously don't believe that. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, th and that's you know one of the interesting differences is that the classicalist would say you need this background, and the evidentialist seems to say let the evidence kind of speak for itself, and and uh, people will gravitate towards the claims made. Uh, by the people that are performing uh, those miracles or that um, that the the architecture of of the story has fit so well that uh, to reject it uh, would be absurd. And so uh, that's uh, tends to be the, the kind of big difference between those those two fields. Well, the rationale approach for this uh, for, for the rationale for this approach, then, is that miracles of Christianity can be viewed as credible only within a theistic worldview, and evidentialists, on the other hand, think that the case for Christianity can be most effectively presented using evidences for creation, for the historicity of Jesus, especially his resurrection, and other evidences in a one uh, kind of cumulative case for Christian theism. Right. And so what this does, our authors tell us, is to uh, allows the evidentialist to zero in on scripture as a source. And so that's kind of the next section then is where they start off with. They tell us that according to John uh, Montgomery, the final and best evidence of God's existence lies in his word, in the triple, triple sense of Christ, the gospel he proclaimed, and the scripture that infallibly uh, conveys that gospel. Mm -hmm. And so the first step for the evidentialists, such as Montgomery then, is to defend the biblical writings, not as infallible scripture, but as historically credible and reliable documents. So that's that's kind of what they're suggesting the first step is, right? Since the, the evidence is going to come oftentimes right out of the scriptures, the first thing you want to do is to make sure that you defend uh, scriptures as a historical, credible and reliable document. Mm -hmm. All right. And so, uh, you know, Christians are going to have a, a higher view of scripture, uh, theoretically, uh, than the unbeliever. Although, uh, for the evidentialists, the, the common ground here, the, the, the neutral ground is to say, listen, we, we all experience uh, um, the, 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 the worldview of evidence. Uh, we we uh, 
um, bolster uh, any case for anything that we have uh, with evidence, uh, whether it be uh, um, kind of in our faces, the physical evidence, uh, video evidence, and also we do testimony. Uh, you know, um, my, my friend told me that uh, he went to the, the, the store today and uh, he brought groceries. I look in his pantry. Uh, there seems to be uh, more than just spider webs in there. And so I, I can believe him based on the uh, physical and of the, the, um, the auditory uh, testimony of of my friend and so uh what they're saying is uh let's let's take this kind of common ground approach of of just scripture being this historical claim and see if we can build it up and then uh, uh to, to to assert that uh the claims made in scripture are true well then let's go forth and uh, put our faith in the one who says that he'll save us from our sins well, to assure his readers, he is employing an unbiased method of treating the historical reliability of the New Testament, so he claims. Montgomery chooses tests of reliability drawn from a textbook of English literacy history by a military historian. Uh, these are uh, bibliographical, internal, and external tests. And Montgomery and ev ev other evidentialists use this threefold test then regularly to defend the historical reliability of the New Testament. So that's what they do is they take this threefold approach. All right. So let's kind of walk through these uh, three, this threefold approach here. So we'll start with bibliographical test. Here, uh, the, the, this test seeks to determine whether the existence or extant copies of a document are reliable reproductions of the wording of the original document. Uh, here, Montgomery emphasizes that we have many more manuscript copies for the New Testament writings than for other ancient writings. So notice what he's doing here. He's not trying to say that, he, that uh, the content is good, not yet, at least not at this first instance. Right. He's just trying to say, is this a reliable reproduction of the wording of the original documents? How close do we have to, to the original documents in terms of what the words are, right? So that's the first thing he does. And so he emphasizes, uh, which many people have pointed out, this notion of first, the amount of manuscripts, right? Like, uh, hundreds, perhaps thousands. Oh, yeah, it's, of, it's, of it's man, in, the, in the thousands. Yeah. In fact, uh, Josh McDowell, I think in the first part of his book, uh, talks about this and compares it to things like uh, Homer's Odyssey, which is uh, the second uh, one. And there's there's only like hundreds there, which uh, is impressive because Homer's Odyssey really defines the mark of what a, a novel of today is. Uh, but the um, uh, New Testament manuscripts uh, and, you know, pick your time, time period, especially for how old they are, um, are, are massively reproduced. And so, yeah, there you have the, the, the quantity over um, maybe the quality, uh, but he's going to also argue the quality uh, later. Right, exactly. And so uh, we have many more manuscript copies of the uh, New Testament writings than other ancient writings, and the time gap between the earliest complete copies and the originals is smaller uh, for the New Testament than for other ancient writings. So we have the amount of manuscripts plus the time gap between the, when the uh, manuscript was written 
and the copies that we have. So, so uh, they quote him saying, to be skeptical of the resultant text of the New Testament books is to allow all of classical antiquity to slip into obscurity. Mm -hmm. For no documents of the ancient period are as well attested bibliographically as the New Testament. Right, right. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, the, the, the claim made is that uh, these are all written hundreds and hundreds of years after the, the events. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they're all written anonymously and, and no one could possibly believe that they came from. OK, if if if, if that's what you want to claim, first of all, uh, um, you're doubt. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's 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 quite obvious that uh, you're kind of dealing with uh, base uh, baseline atheism uh, uh, claims on the Internet from from those types of argumentation. Uh, but but th th let's apply that same standard then to uh um half of roman literature of 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 where these the uh, you know yeah. romans period um uh have come from you have to wipe out pretty much all you know of 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 roman history uh go back to uh, uh the times of the egyptians well you know if we just have polls written about these things we can't actually take uh into evidence that, uh, anything more than some people built some buildings and then um uh, their uh, weird pyramid <laughs> shapes you, you you would throw out pretty much anything up to about the 1950s uh, when the advent of cameras and photocopiers came into effect. So uh, if, if you're willing to do that, uh, I think um, uh, uh, the McGrews have, have uh, uh, made the case that, uh, well, you don't really believe Abraham Lincoln was real, right? And they apply the same kind of critique that uh, that modern skeptics do uh, to the New Testament that they do with with Abraham Lincoln. L listen, uh, you know, just show me a picture. J show me the video of, of Abraham Lincoln walking. I mean, he's such an important figure. Oh, well, you have all these documents. Well, all those documents were written, you know, pseudepigraphically, and, and we don't even know who they are. Can I interview these hundreds of people that you claim saw Lincoln give this Gettysburg address? No, absolutely not. So it didn't happen. You know, so we, 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 we have to make sure that we're applying equal equal standards here. All right, well, the biblical uh, graphical test does not establish the factual accuracy of the historical narratives in the documents, only that the documents as we know them are substantially the same as they were when originally written. Uh, and and um, th this, this idea that, uh, you know, uh, Dan Brown makes uh, that all these uh, changes have been made and, and everything like that, the, 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 the spread of the gospel happens very quickly within the scope of the foundation of the church where they're running and hiding and 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 i mean especially after 8070 uh, going out from the persecution of the burning of, of jerusalem uh to the other parts of the roman empire and then from there especially uh with uh, uh the the uh proclivity of the romans to persecute christians i mean the the fact that we have the copies uh, that we do and and even from kind of the first centuries into the second century is pretty amazing but it's because the people of the book were the people of the book and they copied it and spread it and um uh use the 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 roman um uh, uh, book uh, uh technology to to proliferate this and the fact that if you wanted to make a change within the scope of scripture well then that would be easy to assess because you have all these different avenues of saying like okay well you know uh, we we can trace manuscript families and say this one has the same 
stanzas or the same uh, markings or the same notes. And so we can say uh, that the transmission line came from this. This is all textual criticism, which isn't being critical of the text. It's saying, how did the text get to us today? And so uh, it's, it's a pretty interesting avenue uh, to, to look into. And there's a slew of books uh, that, uh, that I could foist upon you, but uh, I won't uh, right now. <laughs> well, the second and third test then address the historical uh, reliability of the uh, contents of the biblical documents. The internal test consists of the claim that the writings uh, as to their historicity internal consistency. Here, Montgomery and other evidentialists insist that there are benefits of the doubt is to be given to the documents itself, not uh, arrogated by the critics to himself. Paul's writings claim to be written by Paul and the Gospels, especially Luke and John, claim to be recording his history uh, based on eyewitness testimony. It's a big thing for Luke. I mean, he's going out, you know, why is why is he naming the names that he is? Because he's interviewing these these witnesses. Now, John uh, tends to 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 name more names, but he's writing later at a later time. And uh, um, uh, some of the the issues of of. Um, not having these people uh, be named uh, among among copies that the Romans could get their hands on and yeah, then persecute right. <laughs> it, it is, is, a, is a big thing for that. So uh, yeah. these so the argument be... there is that, you know, the, their names were being protected <clears throat> right. by the time John wrote. Some of these people had passed off the scenes and so you didn't have to protect their names. And so he could include more names in his gospel. Right, right. I, I protected mean, from know. who? Protect from whom? Protected from the Roman government. Right, the, the Romans, you know? the, the, the Jews. Yeah, <laughs> that's and, right. Yeah. You know, if if you look at Mark, he's he's uh, you know recording the words of Peter, and Peter's you know let's just say he's he didn't stop being loud when the Holy Spirit entered him. He <laughs> he he was a little bit more boisterous, and so you 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 needed to get get that stuff down pretty quick. <laughs> Well, uh, so then um, uh, these claims then should be accepted at face value as truthful unless and until evidence to the contrary is produced. Right. So he's suggesting this. We give the documents the benefit of the doubt yeah. until we have reason not to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's the basic idea of this internal uh, test. Right. right? And, and to take Montgomery's <clears throat> um, kind of legal uh, um, <clears throat> proclivities here, uh, th this is what any lawyer is going to tell you to do, especially uh, if you're in a, a family setting, you, the person, are anytime you have contact with this person, write down when it was, what was said, um, uh, any issues that you saw, anything that goes against judges' orders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then when it comes time to present your side of the case, your uh, diary, your book, your your list of evidence is entered into. Uh, uh, evidence here, it still can be cross-examined, of course, but uh, you are making the claim that, hey, at, at the time when this happened, I wrote all this stuff down, and you coming with written, written documentation is going to far outweigh anything of just, well, I, I have claims and I, I'm going to make them here in court. Presenting that written documentation in a court proceeding actually holds evidential value. And so uh, th that's what uh, Montgomery here is, uh, is uh, uh, kind of alluding to as well. And so that's the internal test. The external test then asks whether the testimony of the biblical writings is corroborated or or either undermined by extra biblical sources, right? And here, Montgomery focuses on the Gospels. Uh, Luke's accuracy is confirmed by the, for instance, the archaeological and geographical investigations of William Ramsey toward the end of the 19th century. Uh, second century Christians who knew the apostles or their immediate disciples 
uh, testified that the Gospels were based on, you know, eyewitness testimonies. And thus, Mark's Gospel was based on Peter's recollection, and, and Matthew himself was an apostle, and John was an apostle, and so forth, right? And so this is the external test, right? Does it is it corroborated by extra-biblical sources? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Sir William Ramsey is a, is an interesting figure. In fact, um, I think you can still go on Amazon and get the Kindle books for free of, of books that he written. And essentially, he was a skeptic who was like, well, I'm here to disprove the Bible. I'm going to take just the Bible and I'm going to go to these areas that it claims to um, have cities and, and different um, uh, features. And I'm just going to use the Bible to prove that it's either going to be here or it's not. And he takes his shovel and starts digging, and lo and behold, he keeps finding these cities that are <laughs> described uh, uh, during the time. And so, if you're written, if you're writing hundreds of years later, I mean, even even though we don't have the advent of you know giant earth movers that we do today, um, you have big changes in cities. In fact, if you go back to Old Testament times, you have um, um, uh, people writing. Uh, uh, city names that shouldn't be known for this, you know, post-Davidic uh, J, J, JPEG, uh, uh, whatever the the JPEG uh, 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 <laughs> thing stands for, um, of, of this being read back into history. But when you go back to those histories and you find, nope, these are the names that we would find in Proto-Hebrewic um, um, uh, uh, naming schemes or uh, nope, th- these were the kind of the names of the cities or, or the style of names that the Egyptians favored during the time that the Exodus occurred. Well, th- then these things um, add to the, to the, from the external value onto the, uh, onto the nature of scriptures. Right, well, besides passing tests of general historical reliability, Scripture functions in a more profound ways as the source of evidence for its own truth and the truth of the claims of Christianity. Evidentialists marshal evidences from a number of directions to build a cumulative case for the truth of the Bible. So you might deal with uh, creation, you might deal with historical evidences, you might deal with geogra- uh, geographical ones, you might deal with um, uh, um, uh, external eyewitness testimony. All these things are, are building the case uh, for handing the book over and saying, no, actually believe this. Well, these evidences include the miracles of the Bible, the uniqueness of the Bible, the fulfilled prophecy. And later, our authors will consider evidentialist approach to the miracles of the Bible. But here they'll highlight the arguments from fulfilled prophecy. All right. So what are this? what is what is this argument from fulfilled prophecy all about? So they note that a bloom identifies four criteria that uh, need to be satisfied in order to conclude that a genuine prophecy has been given. And so, one, it must be clear, right? We must clearly understand the prophecy must be clear and, and that sort of thing, not fuzzy and general and that kind of stuff. Uh, it must know that it was, uh, we must know rather that it was given before the event, otherwise it's not prophecy, right? right. <laughs> Uh, Three, it cannot be fulfilled by the actions of the human person making the prediction, right? So it has to be fulfilled by someone else and not the person who makes the prediction. And then uh, number four, it's context. uh, I'm sorry, it's content must be unusually specific or long range so as to make the fulfillment uh, remarkable, right? So it must be really specific or happen a lot, you know, quite a ways into the future in order for it to be reliable. And so Bloom then implicitly adds a fifth, namely that the successful prediction notice 
must not be accompanied by a number of false predictions, right? right? The shotgun approach. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, you know, and, and they use the illustration, uh, you know, thus Gene Dixon might be given credit for the prediction of, for instance, John F. Kennedy's assassination, but for the fact that so many of her other predictions have failed, right? <laughs> and so anyone making dozens and dozens of unlikely predictions year after year is bound to at least get a few of them right. <laughs> right yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, let's turn to Scripture to, to see if this is a, a, a good source. Well, uh, if you have just one wrong prophecy, you were to take that person and stone them for speaking on behalf of God. And, exactly. Uh, from, from there, the 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 uh, specific uh, uh, deterrent uh, is fulfilled. That person's not going to be making any uh, other false prophecies. But hopefully, the general <laughs> deterrence will go. Well, I had one, but you know, I, I'm not sure if that was just the the mutton passing through me uh, tonight, and so I'm I'm going to hold off. I'm going to hold That's off right. on, on that one. That's right. And and you can hold off on the stones. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Throwing the yeah. stones. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a different type of rock concert. Yeah. <laughs> well, evidentialists point to three clusters of fulfilled prophecies as evidence for the divine interpretation and truth of the Bible. Well, first, the, there's the Old Testament. It contains numerous prophecies concerning the rise and fall of various nations, cities surrounding Israel, such as Egypt, Tyre, Sidon, Babylon, and Nineveh. And then the second uh, evidentialists cite the existence of the history, history of Israel as an amazing fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Robert Newman tells the story of a skeptical Frederick the Great who asked his court chaplain for a good argument for God, to which the chaplain replied, the Jews, your majesty. <laughs> yeah, about that, right. It, it seems to be that uh, there are uh, quite a number of people that don't like uh, uh, the certain group of people. And uh, it seems to be the fact that uh, they just keep existing. Uh, you know, when's, when's the last time you, you've met an Egyptian from the time of the Egyptians? Mm, not likely. <laughs> How about the Ninevites? Well, not really. How about the Hittites? Well, we didn't even know they existed until someone looked in the Bible and went, hey, maybe we can dig up the city and lo and behold, <laughs> they, they find it. Yeah. I mean, when's the last time you've, you've found the Holy Roman Empire? Well, n not even post uh, uh, Roman architecture, do you have uh, uh, the, the, the Germanic people, the barbarians took them over and became uh, the Holy Roman Empire. So, you know, we're, we're, we're all pretty much just barbarians, but these people seem to continue through the through line of history. And that seems to be uh, a, a big key for, um, for Frederick the Great's chaplain here. Right. And then our third evidentialists are especially impressed by the fulfilled prophecies in the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right. The Gospels, especially Matthew, strongly emphasize the idea that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. And these then three types of fulfilled prophecies in the Bible add up to an impressive array of evidences that evidentialists believe are unparalleled and should be quite convincing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in, in our own church, uh, we're going through Isaiah and we covered uh uh, the, the, the rise of Cyrus before Cyrus was even attempted to be born. And uh, it, it's pretty impressive that if, if you think about, you know, um, going to, to Nehemiah and, and thinking all he's doing is, is going to Cyrus and going, look, your majesty, here you are. And he reads it and goes, all right, well, uh, I'm going to I'm going to let you you guys go. And, and there's, there's no there's no payment. Uh, you know, there's there's no. 
There's that, no... We'll give you money so you can buy the wood. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really impressive. And and yeah. so uh, what happens is that skeptics have to say, oh, this was written post uh, everything. But there's there's a, just a, a ton of information that that um, lines up with with this being uh, pre um, uh, um, the 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 time period in question. And so uh, even even that little um, um, fulfilled prophecy. And, and we, we know that this has happened because the the, the rolling uh, scrolls have been found of of, of this, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, being the kind of the mark from from uh, his kingdom to, to let the, the Hebrews go back uh, to the promised land. And so uh, just just um, um, these types of coincidences uh, happen and they don't happen in in other things like uh, uh, like in the Quran and, and other things so th- there's claims of miracles uh, in the Quran but uh, uh, once you look into them uh, they tend to not be the case and um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, uh, suggest GKBL has as a great um, uh, uh, book on uh, the use of uh, Old Testament uh, uh, scripture in the, from the New Testament to, to bolster kind of this uh, um, evidentialist uh, point from from the Gospels and the fulfilled prophecy and that that uh, that type of, of um, looking back to the Old Testament pr- provides a a historical and a theological kind of um, red carpet for Jesus to to come onto the scene and fulfill a lot of these prophecies. So if you're kind of looking for a source, to, there's all sorts of prophecies book out there. Uh, but uh, I think uh, G.K. Beale's books about um, the 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 New Testament use of the Old Testament is is a is a uh, an underlooked uh, book in 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 dealing with fulfilled prophecy in that context. Yeah, well, these three types of prophecies then uh, in the Bible add up to an impressive array of evidence of evidences that evidentialists believe are unparalleled and should be quite convincing. All right, so that's uh, a look at the scriptures from the evidentialist perspective in terms of the reliability of the scriptures, the use of the scriptures, and that sort of thing. The second thing that our authors point out with regard to evidentialism is the uniqueness of Christianity. The apologist uh, today is confronted with a myriad of religious opinions and options in almost every part of the world and a rising tide of religious pluralism. And so faced with these realities, the evangelical apologist must be prepared to give a reason for claiming that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and that the true knowledge of God can be found only in the Christian faith. And so they tell us that, as we saw in part two, classical apologists generally approach this question by analyzing the worldviews of the major non-Christian religions, right? And so you say this worldview is inconsistent or, you know, even, uh, you know, contradictory and that sort of thing. And so that rules it out kind of thing. So that's the classical apologist approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they contend that uh, only theism, the belief that the world was created and is utterly dependent on an infinite yet personal creator, is a philosophically viable worldview. So that is what the classicals attempt to do with regard to the uniqueness of Christianity. They examine the worldview of the other religions. Evidentialists confront the problem of religious pluralism on two levels. First, they argue that the belief that all religions are basically the same does not take seriously the fact about the different religions. Anyone who kind of says this is almost seems to be just kind of hand-washing. Well, you know, we all want to love each other. And so that, that's as far <laughs> as I want to take it. I don't want to look at the the, the the specific claims of, say, oh, I don't know, Christianity, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
That seems to be a very specific uh, uh, cutting off uh, point for all the world religions. <laughs> well, for example, uh, Francis uh, Beckwith objects to the Baha'i uh, teaching that all the world's major religions were inspired by God. He compares the doctrines about God taught by Moses, Buddha, Confucius, Jesus, Muhammad, and other religious founders and finds them hopelessly contradictory. God cannot be impersonal, personal, transcendent, polytheistic, pantheistic, monotheistic, <laughs> and able to beget, not able to beget, relevant ir and irrelevant all at the same time. Irreconcilable data gives us no knowledge of God whatsoever. Um, there, there's a, um, an interesting take on, on, um, on like, um, Muslims. Uh, so, um, Muslims have this idea, well, you know, they're the people of, of, uh, the, 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 the Jewish time, the, the Hebrews, and then the people of the book, the Christians. And so uh, the people of the book are supposed to listen to, the, to their book. And then the claim is, well, uh, the book tells me not to listen to Muhammad. So therefore it fails within that. But then uh, it seems within the concept of the Quran is that just the Quran was presented to uh, Muslims as kind of the last, um, he, he's, he's sent messengers into to other nations and other uh, religious uh, revelations, but it's only the uh, Arabic um, uh, uh, Quran is, is is final one. So they're just the last people to get their revelation. And so even in uh, Islam, you have this kind of pluralistic idea that uh, wants to account for all things, but it's only Christianity that says, no, we're, we're kind of separate from, from everything. And so now we have to uh, say, is it possible to be both a good Buddhist and a good Christian or a good uh, Hindu and a good Christian. Well, it seems th that they're so at odds that to hold both would uh, make your worldview go completely apart. Right, right, would be contradiction. Yeah. Right. Secondly, uh, our authors tell us that evidentialists maintain that Christianity has a solid claim to be the only true religion because it alone can produce testable evidence of God's activity in establishing Christianity in the first place, right? So, for instance, according to Montgomery, uh, what modern man insists on above all is a verifiable base for his faith so that he can bring some order out of the conflicting welter of religious claims. Christianity has that. Christianity has miracles, fulfilled prophecies, and other evidences that God, that the God of the Bible is the true God. Other religions uh, don't have these types of phenomena. All right, so uh, the evidentialists want to make their case for God, and that's uh, the portion we're at here. So evidentialists, like classical apologists, seek to offer arguments for the existence of God on grounds that are, in principle, understandable and acceptable to non-Christians. We all want to bring everybody in. That's the whole gospel. And so we want to meet them where they're at, which is uh, uh, kind of find out where they stand on certain things and then kind of use that to present the message of the gospel. So put However, on neutral grounds, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that, that's where we all want to start. Neutral ground. It's possible. However, 
they go about this task, the evidentialist, uh, in a somewhat different way. Well, first, they generally subordinate the classical philosophical proofs for God's existence to a different place in their apologetics, and a few evidentialists even reject the philosophical proofs as invalid and unhelpful. It's too complicated. Uh, pe people don't want to think about these type of things. Let's just present the historical details that they would get in any history class that they've taken in their Western schools for, you know, uh, all these years. And so you're just presenting them the, uh, this case. Don't don't get into the P, not P, Q, therefore, little <laughs> dot triangle. No, we don't need to do that. Just just the facts, ma'am. That's right. All right. So also our, our uh, authors tell us that uh, much more commonly, though, than just dismissing these uh, various philosophical proofs, uh, evidentialists retain the philosophical proofs, but do not treat them as sufficient to establish theism. Instead, they rework the philosophical arguments into a cumulative case for theism that is uh, predominantly inductive as opposed to deductive in character. So, for instance, the theological argument that has been uh, reworked, for an example, into an evidentialist argument. And in fact, the uh, has enjoyed something of a renewal, our author tells us, in the last 15 or so years. The argument is now commonly based on the so-called anthropic cosmological principle, mm -hmm. or more simply, the anthropic principle. And the idea here is, uh, you know, this term refers to the ob observation that numerous factors inherent in the universe appear to be just right for sustaining a universe in which life, including humanity, has uh, even the possibility of existing. In other words, there are factors that must be just right, often within a very small, narrow range for us to be here, uh, noticing them in the first place. And so this phenomenon is often called the fine-tuning of the universe. And in the book, it actually has a chart of some of these things right. that, uh, that are, are listed here. Yeah. Yes, so that's uh, also why you need to uh, head to one of the links in our, our descriptions or on caveofthecross.com and pick up this book because you'll get yeah. these nice little charts that we're not going to give you. Uh -uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, and then finally for the, this uh, section of our chapter, in addition to scientific and empirical reworkings of the classical theistic arguments, more evidentialists emphasize the evidence for God's existence from his acts in history. Here we are again talking about fulfilled prophecy, miracles in general, and above all, the resurrection of Jesus. And for evidentialists, the main reason we know God exists is because he has revealed himself in verifiable ways in history, ultimately and most definitely in Jesus. And so, of course, it would make sense that both the classicalist and the evidentialist want to hone in on on uh, Jesus. Uh, uh, he's, he's so close to where we're at uh, uh, to our modern period. Uh, th there uh, are um, the advent of writing and and um, uh, 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 historical context of the Old Testament uh, uh, leading up to uh, the fact that Jesus was alive. And then you have the external sources as well. And then post uh, Pentecost, you have the workings of the church that give us pretty much the entire Western world. It gives us universities and hospitals and, um, you know, the 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 the. The university, I should say, of 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 yesterday, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe not so taken over at the time, uh, right. and and that was maybe to... the hospital of yesterday too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know that, that was to, to 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 know God and make Him known. Uh, that that was the that was the the effect. And the the scientific revolution came about because people were curious on how God made the world. It wasn't only until it was co opted uh, by by other. 
uh, proclivities that uh, that uh, got got eked out and other things got brought in. So um, that's that's what we find uh, um, when we look at the scope of, of history. And the center point is, lo and behold, on Jesus of Nazareth. Who who would have thought? Well, probably everybody. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, about a uh, uh, good time period to, to stop. Uh, we're about halfway through uh, chapter 10, and then we'll pick up with the the other points that uh, our, our evidentialist friends um, uh, tend to, to focus on here uh, next time. And so, um, as always, uh, you can check out the short clips uh, that are produced uh, from uh, from every episode uh, at uh, YouTube and cavethecross.com and uh, anywhere else that videos are hosted. And then you can check us out on Uh, probably where you're finding us now, including audio form if you want to do that. So as always, we say thank you and we'll see you next time. See you next time.